2030. The history of the new Ukraine is studied all over the globe. Why? Because Ukraine became the most digital and convenient country in the world. Scripts have replaced bureaucrats. 500,000 former public servants are successfully integrated in the new economy. No more red tape, but paperless. No more banknotes, but cashless. Yes, we became the first country to abandon paper money. Ukraine now has the best tax system for the IT industry and the most affordable e-residency. Thanks to Ukrainian engineers and programmers, the R&D centers of the world's top technology companies operate successfully, and Ukraine ranks first in the world by the number of startups per capita. Ukrainian courts are guided by artificial intelligence, and all notarial acts take place online. Ukrainian customs is fully automatic and the fastest in the world. Customs clearance and car registration can now be done in three clicks from your smartphone. Because of war and internal migration, we have built the most flexible and modern digital education. Brave military and civilians get quality treatment with modern remote monitoring and e-health systems. Ukraine also has the most effective cyber defense in the world. After the horrors of 2022, Ukraine focused on security systems. Now every production facility has its air defense system, and the sleep of Ukrainians is protected by an ultra-modern iron dome. The Ukrainian government is digital, more like an IT company in terms of the efficiency of implementing decisions, and one can register a land plot, start construction, open a business or get a license, and register a car or real estate from a smartphone automatically in one click. Ukraine is the freest and digital, this is all because international partners and the world's leading technology companies supported the Digital for Freedom initiative and united to help Ukraine recover through digitalization. Building a new Ukraine together, free and the fastest, brave and digital. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. It is the midweek edition, first midweek edition for me this year, 2023. And it is good to be here. It's good to be with you. And I thank you so much for being here with me. It's always a pleasure. I want to remind you that you can reach out to us at DownTheRH at ProtonMail.com. DownTheRH at ProtonMail.com. We have a lot to get into today, so let's get into it. What are the methods that I use? And I get this question often from listeners is, how do I go about my research? And how do I go about looking into these things? Because, you know, on, the, on this midweek podcast that we do, we often are looking at current events things that are coming our way based on history and based on the direction in which all these things are pointing. And they are patterns. I follow patterns. I don't start out with a preconceived notion of where things are going. I look at things that are happening and try to take them to a logical conclusion. And sometimes it's correct, sometimes it's not. Again, I don't claim to be a 
soothsayer or Nostradamus or I'm not making any predictions. I'm just trying to show how things are moving and in what direction they are going. And one of the methods that I use is the Socratic questioning method. Socratic questioning method is from the Socratic method, which was named after Socrates. And Socrates used a form of discipline questioning, and he used it to pursue thought and to evoke truth from conversation and basically asking questions. A lot of times if you're in a discussion with somebody, the way you find information is by asking questions and allowing them to tell you. And then you discern from what they're saying as to what is truth or what is not. And it's also if you have a group of people and you're trying to come to some sort of consensus or find some common bond or find some common truth, you do that through a questioning process. When you're doing research, it's basically a disciplined form of questioning fundamental concepts, theories, problems, and so forth. I learned about this in college. It was an eye-opener for me, and I've been using it ever since. And so today, we're going to look at some things at the beginning of 2023, and we're going to ask questions. We're going to use the Socratic questioning method on a lot of things that are happening, because things are happening quite fast. A lot of people believe that the COVID response to the virus is over and we're all back to normal and that is not the truth. They are still using this. They are still gathering data. They are using it to dictate future events, future laws, future thought. And in this day and age where, from what I'm understanding, because I'm not on social media, but I hear about it, if you ask questions, especially if you ask the wrong questions on social media, you get hammered, you get ostracized, you get piled on, and in the past, you could and probably would get banned. And in a free society, a society of free thought, a society of freedom, questions should be encouraged, not discouraged. And to me, that is an al- that's probably one of the more alarming things that has come out of this entire madness that we've gone through. There's lots of other things that are very, very disturbing. But this attitude of fact-checking, don't ask questions, trust the betters, trust the government, trust the science, without questioning, has never worked out well in human history. One of the things I want to start off talking about is what's going on in Ukraine. It was huge in the news, of course, when it first started, and everybody was on board, and we were told, Ukraine good, Russia bad. And we must send piles and piles of money to Ukraine. We must all support Ukraine because they're fighting for democracy. And democracy is what is needed in the world. And that I do agree on. We do need democracy in the world. We do need freedom in the world. But I have questions about this. And so that's where we're going to start. 
and then we're going to move into some other things. So join me on this exercise today. We're going to ask questions, and we're going to look for answers based on available information. So let's start off with Ukraine. If Ukraine is, in fact, working to create a democracy, here are some of the questions that I have. One question is, why is Ukraine looking to 2030 to reconstruct its society to look like the UN Agenda 2030? The clip I played coming in was posted by Ukraine's vice prime minister. And according to him and the goals of Ukraine is by 2030, they want to have 100% online services. They want to be a paperless society. They want to be a cashless society. Their government is going to be digital. They're going to have artificial intelligence courts and e-notaries. Education will be digital. Health will be digital. They'll have digital customs, 5G, and digital literacy. So digital dollar, digital government. You don't talk to or see anybody. It's all digital. All the courts are handled by artificial intelligence. Education is online. And all of your documents, everything that you apply for, whether it be a driver's license, whether it be a building permit, all of it is digital. And there will be no paper. Why does that fall in line with UN Agenda 2030 and the World Economic Forum? If Ukraine is working towards democracy... Why then is their current leader, Zelensky, heading to the latest World Economic Forum Davos meeting? And as I look at the World Economic Forum's page, the 2023 meeting is going to take place in Davos from January 16th through 20th. I'll be keeping a close eye on that. And the theme is Corporation in a Fragmented World. According to their website, the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine have triggered significant transformations. Unless systemic risks are addressed, the promise of a decade of action may become a decade of uncertainty and fragility. Davos 2023 will provide an important platform to drive forward looking solutions and address the most pressing global challenges through public-private corporation. And according to American Greatness, Zelensky announces Ukraine will participate at the World Economic Forum in January, reveals coordination with BlackRock for reconstruction. If you've listened to this program at all, you know what BlackRock is. They are the inventor of the social governance system. It's run by Larry Fink, who famously said, if corporations don't go the way we want them to. We just gently force them. BlackRock owns more money than most countries. Probably your pension is wrapped up in BlackRock. BlackRock's also the one who went around and is buying up entire neighborhoods in major cities, turning them into rental zones, looking to build these 15-minute cities, which we've talked about. Why 
if Ukraine is fighting for democracy, is Zelensky announcing partnership with BlackRock for the reconstruction of Ukraine. While most freedom-loving states and countries are abandoning BlackRock, they are pulling their money from BlackRock. They want nothing to do with them. And this social environmental governance way of business that they do. And I did an entire show on that if you'd like to go back and listen to it. If Ukraine is fighting for democracy, why then did Zelensky increase censorship on news and media in Ukraine? A 279-page bill gives the National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting, Ukraine's state-sponsored censorship organization, increased power to regulate news media both online and in print. Zelensky signed a bill on Thursday that broadened his government's control over the media, expanding state-sponsored regulation over news disseminated in print and online. Mr. Zelensky, whose administration has been accused of undermining press freedom in recent years, ordered the drafting of a law increasing media regulation in 2019. That was three years before Putin invaded Ukraine. Why? If Ukraine is fighting for democracy, why are they considering, and I believe they have already done this, but they were, according to this article, considering a ban on churches in Ukraine? Now, according to them, these churches are tied to Russia. But when you look at the list of churches, it includes the Catholic Church. Most of them are Orthodox churches. There are some seminaries. According to Reuters, the security service also raided five parishes belonging to the Ukraine Orthodox Church. In a free society, do you ban churches? Do you control the press? In a free society, do you kidnap, torture, and ban political parties? According to many articles, Zelensky and top officials in his administration have sanctioned a campaign of kidnapping, torturing, and assassination of local Ukrainian lawmakers accused of collaborating with Russia. In a democracy, do you ban foreign journalists, which they have? Do you ban political parties, which they have? Made them illegal. In a democratic society, do you use a security agent, SBU, to go after people who refuse to fall in line, targeting them all as pro-Russia? Or do you allow free speech? Do you allow free expression? Do you allow freedom of movement? Do you jail political rivals, including the runner-up of the presidential election? Do you shut down independent media outlets? These are all questions that need to be answered regarding Ukraine. Because if you aren't aware of your tax dollars from Europe, Canada, United States, all so-called freedom-loving countries, democratic societies, your tax dollars by the bundles are heading into Ukraine and now will be run by BlackRock. Why is BlackRock involved? These are all questions that deserve answers. And you can see 
where that is headed. Does that make me a supporter of Russia? Absolutely not. I have lots of questions about Russia as well. But we're being told to sit down, shut up, and just support Ukraine. And Zelensky goes around and picks up bags of cash, heads back to Ukraine. There's no exit ramp. Why are there no negotiations set? Why have there been no negotiations for peace at all? Why have those mayors in Ukraine who have discussed the possibility of having negotiations for peace been either arrested or had family members arrested? Why? And I will put all of these articles in the show notes. There's something very wrong there, and we should all have questions. Another question I have, moving on to a different topic. We all know that Bill Gates is vaccine crazy. We all know that Bill Gates became suddenly a voice of expertise during the COVID response. We also know that Bill Gates has bought up a ton of farmland and is really, really, really into fake meat and his seeds with Montesano and so forth, all genetically modified. Well, why then is Bill Gates doing this? Well, the Gates Foundation has partnered with Diffid on a great number of things, and uh, among those are our work we do together on livestock. Uh, helping animals survive, uh, either by having vaccines or better genetics, uh, helping them be more productive. It's making a big difference. Uh, you know, I was down in Ethiopia seeing how chickens are out there uh, laying more eggs, getting more nutrition, uh, and even some small savings into the household. So uh, Edinburgh happens to be where a lot of the world's best work on this is done, and that's why uh, Diffid and the Gates Foundation are, are funding scientists here. So Bill Gates is working with scientists in Scotland to work on cows and chickens, livestock, putting vaccines into them, and genetically modifying them. Why is he doing that? What would be the purpose of putting vaccines in cows? What would be the purpose of genetically modifying these animals? Mankind has been on the planet how long? and has raised cattle and livestock for how long? And they have successfully used these animals and livestock to sustain their lives. Why now do we need Bill Gates using scientists pumping who knows what into the animals that they would like us to drink their milk eat their meat, and eat their eggs? Just a question. Just curious why he would need to do that. Paul Ehrlich, if you do not know that name, Paul Ehrlich is an American biologist who teaches and has taught at Stanford University for decades. He wrote a book called The Population Bomb. We've talked about it on this program, where he spectacularly missed and was wrong on every prediction he made. That we were all going to be extinct, the oceans would be 
completely bereft of life. There would be no food on the planet. It was way overpopulated. There weren't enough resources and on and on and on. You can look it up. He's probably one of the greatest failures as far as predicting doom of all time. His book sold a lot, a lot of copies. A lot of people were worried. He was on Johnny Carson. He was trotted around as this expert on the impending doom of the world. A lot of the impending doom that we hear today is still based on stuff he wrote. Everything, every single thing he predicted failed to happen. So why then, at the beginning of this year, does ABC bring him on to say this? Too many people, too much consumption, and growth mania. At the age of 90, biologist Paul Ehrlich may have lived long enough to see some of his dire prophecies come true. You seem to be saying that humanity is not sustainable. No, humanity is not sustainable. To maintain uh, our lifestyle, yours and mine, basically, for the entire planet, you'd need five more Earths. Not clear where they're going to come from. Somebody who has been so wrong so often and debunked and proven to be a fraud so many times. Why does ABC drag this guy out of obscurity, basically, and put him in front of a camera to tell everybody that life on this planet is not sustainable and if you go through the entire clip, it's about 30 minutes long. His answer, of course, is we need to reduce the population. This is the guy who wanted to put chemicals in the water that you drink. Towns, cities, put, this, put chemicals in the water to make people sterile, to reduce the population. Because, wow, there's way too many people on the planet. Why, why is he coming out now? Why is ABC bringing him out now? Why at the beginning of the year? What tone are they setting? He hasn't written a new book that I know of. He hasn't been a public figure for quite a while. He still writes papers and articles that are spectacularly wrong. But... Yet, here he is, once again, saying we can't sustain life on this planet. We're going to need new planets in order for everybody to live because we just don't have the resources. Why did he lose a bet to a, an economist? And you can look this up. It was a very famous bet. It was a $1,000 bet. The economist challenged Ehrlich to pick five resources, five. And over the course of, I believe it was, I don't know, five years, 10 years, challenged him with a $1,000 bet. If that resource is depleted or goes down, therefore the price goes up, he would pay Ehrlich 1000 bucks. If, as free market dictates, when you have a resource and more people are using it, you produce more of it, therefore the price goes down and Ehrlich lost. Why doesn't ABC mention that? 
Why don't they ask him about that? Why don't they ask him about all of his failed predictions in the past? Just questions. Just curious. I'm also curious why this happened and where's the follow-up? We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. People who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully unvaccinated? That's psychotic. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. About this, in a world of threats and tyrants and terror, you know what our biggest enemy is in America? Our fellow Americans. They are the ones that are propagating this outbreak. Being frustrated that there is still a percentage of the population are, who are not vaccinated. I wish that he would go further to restrict mm. the activities of the unvaccinated. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. You're, that's, I mean, a 25% can cause a lot of damage, and they are. If you're willing to walk among us unvaccinated, you are an enemy. Well, you know, it's my rights. and Okay. <laughs> but I don't care. The pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. Freedom not to follow the facts, even if your freedom kills people? What kind of freedom is that? What kind of freedom do they really want? We have pandemic because of the unvaccinated and they're enormous confusion. The unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals, are overrunning emergency rooms and intensive care units, leaving no room for someone with a heart attack or pancreatitis or cancer. Shouldn't they have to pay more into the system because they are collapsing our health system? They're the ones in the ERs. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status in court. It's almost like it's going to be two Americas. Why did they say all of that? With all of that having been proven over and over again to be not true, why are they not held to the carpet? Why are they not being labeled misinformation? Why did on December 28th, 2022, the World Health Organization declare unvaccinated a major killing force, deadlier than global terrorism? According to this article, the dangers of COVID vaccines of displaying anti-science aggression is a devastating impact of misinformation and disinformation regarding COVID vaccines. They claim that anti-vaccine activism is more deadly than terrorism, gun violence, and other heinous crimes. Why are we not allowed to challenge that? Why are you silenced when you prove that's not true? Why are doctors and nurses and scientists who disagree labeled as kooks, misinformation, liars, and not allowed to speak. Why, if science is a process, are they so definitive about the vaccine? 
why are the problems related to the vaccines still persisting? Why are all-cause mortality at an all-time high, not just in the U.S., but around the world? Why is all-cause mortality higher among younger males? Why are young kids having heart attacks? Just questions. And related to that, why on January 2nd, 2023, did Japan launch official investigation into millions of COVID vaccine deaths? According to this article, Japan has launched an official investigation into the unprecedented numbers of people dying after receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. According to Professor Matsaka Nagao, he's highlighted how the bodies of vaccinated persons he performed autopsies on were abnormally warm with upwards of 100 degrees Fahrenheit body temperatures. He says, we believe the vax is related to immune abnormalities. In another report, Professor Sanau of the Kochi University School of Medicine discussed discovering spike proteins at the site of skin lesions and other skin problems on patients who were vaccinated. The spike protein derived from the vaccine was found in the skin. Why are we not hearing more about this? According to Sanau, spike proteins are locally suppressing the immune system. As a result, the spike proteins facilitate the reactivization of herpes virus. The function of the spike proteins to produce adverse reaction is formation of blood clots. And even worse, spike proteins can also locally induce inflammation. According to him, sometimes things that are not good are introduced into the human body. Vaccination may cause our overall immune system to fail to fight against such bad things. Why have we heard this before? Why have we heard this many times, and yet we continue to be told that he's crazy, we're crazy, trust the science, and if you're not vaccinated, you are part of the world problem. You are an outcast. And according to the World Health Organization, are a major killing force, deadlier than global terrorism. Why should we trust the WHO? Why do they receive so much money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Just asking questions. Another question I have, this is based on article by the Independent Institute. Do you remember that there was a study out, I'm sure you've heard about it, about COVID hesitancy and the risk of a traffic crash? It was published by the Journal of Medicine by a trio of Canadian doctors who <laughs> claimed that if you weren't vaccinated, you were much more likely to get into a traffic accident. According to this trio of doctors, 11,270,763 individuals were included of whom 16% had not received a COVID vaccine and 84% who had received the vaccine. The cohort accounted for 6,682 traffic crashes 
Unvaccinated individuals accounted for 1,682 traffic crashes, which is 25%, equals to a 72% increase relative risk compared with those vaccinated. These data suggest that COVID vaccine hesitancy is associated with significant increased risk of a traffic crash. But here's the key. On the other hand, quoting these doctors, distrust of government or belief in freedom is another possibility along with, quote, antipathy towards regulation, exposure to misinformation, insufficient resources, or other personal beliefs. Alternative factors include political identity, social networks that lead to misgivings around public health guidelines. However, they say those remain topics for more research. The questions I have regarding this are, who was most likely to get the COVID vaccine shot? Older people or younger people? Who drives more, older people or younger people? Who are more aggressive drivers, older people or younger people? What does driving have to do with your political affiliation, your belief system, your trust of the government? How do these factors interact with one another? And who funded this study? Again, just asking questions. And the last question I have today on this episode is, according to this article from Zero Hedge, Austrian Defense Minister warns Europeans are unprepared for coming days-long blackouts. The Austrian Defense Minister has warned that Europeans could face blackouts that go on for days, leaving one-third of citizens unable to supply themselves. According to Claudia Tanner, who made these comments during an interview with a German news outlet, she says the question is not whether it, talking about the blackouts, will come, but when it will come. For Putin, hacking attacks on Western power supplies are a tool of hybrid warfare. We must not pretend that this is just a theory. We must be prepared for blackouts in Austria and Europe. One third of citizens would not be able to supply themselves on the fourth day of a blackout at the latest. Why did the World Economic Forum's Klaus Schwab one year ago, a year and a half ago, say that long, dark winters are coming? That the supply system and the power grid are not sustainable? Why has Joe Biden repeatedly talked about a long, dark winter full of death and destruction. Why is this a theme across the world? Why, if the power grid can't sustain and will be unoperable for days long, do they want us to go to electric vehicles? Why is the problem always our consumption? Electric heaters, air conditioning, fans, gas cars, all the things they hate. Why did they shut down all of the coal-fired and nuclear plants? Just asking questions. And questions are good. Questions need to be asked of these things. Do we always get the answer? Absolutely not. And that's by design. 
In fact, they do not want the questions even asked, which is why I ask them all the time. And I look for the answers in what they're saying. A lot of times, they show themselves in their own words. A lot of times, you can glean a lot of information from their quotes, their interviews. And a lot of times, the answer is right there. So I would encourage you this year in 2023 to ask a lot of questions. Seek a lot of answers. And be willing to follow the truth of the matter, the truth of the situation. Get to the bottom of things. And if somebody is saying, do not question this or that, that's when all the questions should be piled on. More questions should be asked. Because usually when somebody does not want you to ask questions about something, it's because they're hiding something. They don't want you to know what they're up to. They do not want you to know the truth. And in a free society, and to be a free thinker, and to be someone who is inquisitive, wants to know the truth, being a truth seeker, questions are your greatest strength. And questions are their biggest fear. So, in my opinion question away. And before I get on out of here, I haven't done a book review for a while, but I want to tell you about a book. I have talked about this book before. It's by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it is called The Real Anthony Fauci. I'm not going to do a review on that book again. I want to point you in a direction of a movie that he has put out. It's titled Welcome to the Real Anthony Fauci. It's the real Anthony Fauci movie.com. It's free to watch. It's broken up into several parts. I believe there's four or five parts. It's easily digestible. It is a must watch. If you are not into reading books, please go watch this. It will answer a lot of your questions. And I don't even agree politically on a lot of points with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. However, this isn't about political ideology. This is about getting to the truth of what happened, who Fauci is, why he did the things he did, why he said the things he said, why he's still saying it. Even on his way out of office, get more boosters, get yourself boosted up. Get vaccinated. Get everybody vaccinated. It's a nonstop mantra for this guy. Why is that? What is in it for him? What is there to gain from his advice? It is a fascinating view. I highly recommend it. Again, the real Anthony Fauci movie.com. It's free. And you can also purchase copies if you would like, but you don't have to. Go watch it. Watch it. Share it. It is an amazing work that Robert Kennedy has done. The book's fantastic as well. The Real Anthony Fauci. If you are a reader, I highly recommend you read it. It will blow your mind 
how corrupt and deep and disingenuous this individual is, how he's been wrong through most of his career and failed upwards, and we handed basically our entire civilization over to this egomaniac, and he took advantage of it. And a lot of policies that are in place today are because of this guy, Anthony Fauci. So go have a great rest of the week. Be well. There is hope. There's a lot of hope out there. I think 2023 is going to be a year of answers for a lot of these questions. That's my great hope, that a lot of these things come to light. There are people fighting back. There are people who are putting a lot of these individuals' feet to the fire, and I think we're just seeing the beginning of it. And I am very hopeful that in 2023, we're going to get a lot of answers on a lot of this stuff. And... Ultimately, it's up to you and I to not participate in any of this nonsense, to say no to it, to inform others about it, and what they do with that information is up to them, but they should know. The things that you do know, the things that are factual, the things that are counterproductive to freedom, to democracy, to living a good life and being a free person, don't participate in the things that are counter to that. Refuse it. Once again, you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. want to thank our good friends over there at fringeradionetwork.com. We get a lot of people who email us from listening to us over there, and we do appreciate that. I'll be back on Sunday with Brandon, and I'm always looking forward to that. We will see you then. I'm Big D. And I'm out of here.